Uh, absolute pleasure and uh, privilege to be uh, here this morning to uh, open the Word of God to you and to uh, bring the Word that I believe that He's given me to share. So, should we just pray? Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that God does speak, now one way, now another. We read in your Word in, in visions of the night and in dreams, but it says then that but man does not perceive it. We want to perceive it, Lord. We want to receive your word. We want to hear from you. We want to feed on the word of God. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive from you this morning. Help, Brian. And um, Lord, come amongst us through your word, we pray, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing, as Ben said, so wisely and correctly, in our series in John, and we're now up to John chapter 15. And the, the context of this is that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. This is Thursday night. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's broken bread. Judas has left, and he's now with his um, faithful disciples. This is a, a now a long, intimate discourse um, with his disciples, those closest to him, now the 11. And he shares with them some teaching through this parable. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. What is Jesus doing? He's setting out roles and responsibilities. What does Jesus do? What does the Father do? What do you and I do? Let's start with Jesus. What does Jesus do? He's, he says, I'm the vine, like I'm the trunk of the plant. What does the trunk do, the vine? Well, firstly, it's an anchor for the branch. Jesus provides stability, like an anchor, a foundation, a rock. And there is no firmer foundation to build your life, your security on, than Jesus. Whatever the storms and setbacks are that you may face, if you're building on the firm ground of Jesus, if you're firmly grounded, rooted in him, you won't be shaken. Secondly, what does the vine do? The vine provides resources. The branch receives almost everything. Nourishment from the vine. Nourishment to keep it alive, to keep it supple, to keep it flexible, to keep it flourishing. Resources to enable the branch to grow. And supremely, to produce fruit. So briefly, that's the role of the vine, Jesus. He will play his part. You can rely on him. So, what's the role of the branch, of the Jesus follower? What's our role? What is the first and foremost responsibility of the branch? I wish we were all here so I could ask you to shout it out. What's the first and foremost responsibility and role of the branch? Jesus said it. Were you counting? I did. Ten times. Ten times. Talk about pressing the point home. What must the branch do? What does the branch need to do? What is it absolutely essential that the branch needs to do? Not only to bear fruit, not only to have rock-like stability, not only to remain flexible and flourishing, but to remain alive. What must it do? It must remain. Abide, dwell, stay. What happens to a branch if it's disconnected from the vine? You know, what do you call a branch that's been cut off and is no longer resting in the vine? It's called a stick. What is the number one behavioural characteristic of a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Look at the call of the first disciples. Um, Mark 3, verse 14, we read, he appointed 12, and then it tells us why he appointed 12. First and foremost, that they might be with him. What was the first and foremost thing that a disciple needs to do? A disciple needs to be with him, to remain with him. Jesus' followers are not just called by Jesus, they're called to Jesus, to follow him, to be with him. The call to discipleship is not firstly or foremost a call to serve or to go into battle. It's a call to 
personal allegiance. Look at the disciples on the Saturday of Easter. Consider them. Jesus is dead and closed up in the tomb. He's gone, it seems. What have they got? Well, they've got the teachings of Jesus, the, the, the life and moral teaching of Jesus, which are amazing. In fact, we've had 2,000 years of scientific and, and, and cultural progress, but no one has ever surpassed the moral and life teachings of Jesus. And they've got that. But also, they've got the experience of witnessing and the healings and the miracles of walking with him and living with him for three years. They've got stories to tell for the rest of their lives. <laughs> but how are they? With all that, they're depressed. They're crestfallen. They're lost. Why? Because they don't have Jesus. They don't have his living presence with them. The one who threw stars into space has walked with them, sat with them, talked with them. He's been with them. They were willing to leave everything to follow him, to be with him. Why? Because of him, because of who he is. Their personal allegiance to him was to him. They liked what he did, they liked what he said, but they loved him. They obeyed him. He was Lord, rabbi, teacher, they were devoted to him. Their desire was to be with him. You know, when Buddha was dying, some of his disciples came to Buddha and asked him how they should best remember him. He replied, don't bother. It's not me that matters. It's my teaching. But with Jesus, it's entirely different. For anyone who will follow Jesus, it's all centers around him his person, his living presence. Discipleship starts with remaining in him, knowing him, confident, believing in him, being committed to him, loving him, obeying him, bearing fruit for him. You know, the passage that Jason spoke out of last week, which is headed, he promises Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, the advocate, as Jason so explained so well to us. That passage, it's interesting. It, it starts, if you love me, you will obey me, verse 15. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Verse 23, again, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Three times in barely two paragraphs. The same point, if you love me, you will obey what I command. The, the heading perhaps should be loving and obeying. That seems to be a big part of what Jesus is saying in those, in those verses. But, but look at the result. If you love me, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then in verse 23, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And Jesus is developing that now. He's saying, if you love me, you will obey me and you'll see me. And my father and I, we will make our home with you. He's developing that now. It's, in, it's absolutely incredible. So, 
remain in me. He's saying, make your home in me, and I will make my home in you. Remain. Remain is it's a steady state, isn't it? The call to discipleship is not a call to a, an intermittent thing, an on-off thing. To remain is to stay. To remain is to stay in communication. To share time. To share experiences. To share concerns. To share intimacy. Remaining, staying in communication with Jesus, of course it doesn't mean talking all the time, but it does mean keeping the line open. You know, Adam and Eve could have kept the line open with God. If they'd remained obedient, if they had enjoyed the wide permission of all these fruits in the garden, you can enjoy them all, and the narrow prohibition of, oh, but not that one. If they'd followed that, they would have been delighted to see God coming walking in the garden. But they didn't. What did they do? They allowed themselves to be, not to be satisfied with all that God had blessed them with. They wanted extras. They thought they knew better than God. And so they had to hide from him. They closed the line. They dropped the call. Do you remember on, on, on early mobiles? You know, instead of those 19 indecipherable little icons atop, across the top of the screen that seriously I really don't understand, they just had three little bars, you know, and those little bars were there to, you know, a small one and then a slightly bigger ones, to tell you how, long, how strong the signal was between your phone and the nearest mast. And, and if there were no bars, do you remember what it said? It said, searching. <laughs> you see, smartphones today do the same thing. There's a little chip in there, and its job is to search for contact, to keep the line open, to keep a close contact. And I call that chip the intima, the intima, because its purpose is to retain close contact, to retain intimacy with the network. And when you were made, when your soul and spirit were made in the factory of heaven, the Father of heaven put something like that little chip in you. Because he made you for intimacy, for deep, transparent relationship. You know, intimacy is the fuel of life. And true intimacy isn't merely a physical thing. You know, um, intimacy isn't primarily found in sex. It's found in shared experience. It's found to be a heart and mind thing. You know, actually years ago, and it was quite a few years ago, I, I said to Judy one day, probably relatively early in our relationship, I just said to her, I don't get it. I don't get it, Julie. What is it? What, I, I, sorry. You know, I actually used to say, look, I'm not going to snap my fingers in case, you know, the hypnotism that I seem to have got her into. Um, or don't, don't snap your fingers, you know, in case she comes out of it. But I did say to her, seriously, what is it that you seem? I don't get it. Really, you know, why are you, you seem to be attracted to me and I don't get it. Sorry, there's enough there. And she said, it's your conversation. It's your company. It's your presence. That's intimacy. Intimacy is the fuel of life. People who have an intimate relationship in their lives, do you know they enjoy better health? They have a greater sense of purpose. They're more motivated. They live longer. Let's go back to the phone thing. Do you remember 
when we first got mobile phones, we used to sometimes hear, when we were at Overton Grange, we'd hear from the PA some sort of interference. We'd hear. Remember that? You know, and it's the RF signal, the radio frequency signal, being picked up by an unshielded PA system. They'd pick it up. You know, no one was making a call or receiving a call. It was just people's phones. It was just a phone doing what cell phones do, checking in to the network via the nearest mast. Just saying, hi, I'm here. Don't have anything special to say, um, but can I just check in? Do you got any text messages for me? Anything I should know about? Just checking in, making sure that I'm connected. What's it doing? It's remaining. It's abiding. It's being open-doored. That's kind of part of what Jesus is saying when he says, remain in me. He's saying, stay connected. Be open-doored. Listen for my voice. Listen for my instructions. Obey my instructions. Are you open-doored to Jesus? Are you listening? Are you remaining, abiding in him, steady state? You know, so the first responsibility of the Jesus follower, you got it? Is to remain, abide, stay with, listen and obey. Jesus is, if you think about it, Jesus is doing an incredible thing here. As a branch is an extension of the vine, it's the same substance as the vine, Jesus is inviting you to be an extension of him, for, for his DNA to flow into and through you, his life, his likeness. He wants to make you great. Jesus wants to change you. You can't change yourself. You might have tried. But Jesus can change you. Don't limit him. You do know he owns everything. You do know he has all power and all authority. You just need to allow him to come close, to remain, and to be responsive to his promptings, his call, his voice. And he will change you. Sometimes it's a, an invisible process, just like, you know, how little apples. I used to tell this in a funny way, like, you know, you've been down to Kent at night and you've, you've heard the sound, you know, that... The sound of the apples bouncing out of the end of the branches. You heard that? No, because it doesn't happen like that, does it? It happens naturally. Fruit grows naturally as a consequence of the plant, the tree, being rooted down into the deep good stuff and its leaves turned up to the brightness and the warmth of the sun. Jesus can change you. He has the power to do that if you're open-doored to him, if you're open for him to help you to change. So now we can talk about the fruit. What is the fruit? What is the fruit? Well, it's that extension, isn't it? It's that extension of Jesus, his character, his likeness, his behaviour, his acts of love. 
service, faith, his acts of faithfulness, the life of Jesus and the likeness of Jesus, if you like, the family likeness of the family of God. It's like Jesus. It's the formation of Jesus within the human soul. It's the increase of his kingdom in and through our lives. The fruit is souls, lives, filled with the life and likeness, the DNA of Jesus. His saving fullness, his character, his obedience, his love, his joy, his peace. Fruit is you becoming more like Jesus in your attitudes, in your actions, extending his life in and through you. And you being a witness to that. Doing all you can to encourage others to meet Jesus and become grafted into the vine. And then over time, as a consequence, for the likeness of Jesus, his character, to be formed in them. The love and joy of Jesus to come into their lives. That's the outworking of the gospel. Other lives coming into a saving experience, a saving relationship with Jesus. Freedom for the oppressed, release for the captives, blind eyes and blind hearts made to see, lives and families redeemed, renewed. You know, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When you discover something that's wonderful and freely available and in limitless supply, what would you do? You know, I've just discovered gusto. Seriously, I've just discovered gusto. They just send you a box, it's got all the ingredients, because I've, I've, I've kind of forgotten how to cook since Julie became a vegetarian. I'm a bit stymied as to quite how to cook anymore. But now I've discovered gusto. So yesterday I went to see my daughter, and I, I actually took part of the gusto kit to, to give to her, because I thought this is such good news. I, I made a biryani with coconut yogurt. And, and it, it was, frankly, it was darn good Friday night. And um, so Saturday went over to see my Vancouver daughter, who's over in London at the moment, and said, look, it's Gusto, it's great, have this, here's the recipe, here's the ingredients, do it, and if you like it, subscribe, because they're here for six months. And uh, it was good news to discover Gusto, so I just naturally wanted to pass it on. That's the outworking of the gospel, passing it on, lives and families redeemed, changed, renewed. It makes a lot of sense. When you find a good thing that's in limitless supply, what do you do? You tell your friends, your family. That too is fruit. Jesus said, I've chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit. Let's just recap. What's the first fundamental essential condition to fruit bearing? For you to bear fruit? Now you know the answer, don't you? In a word, remain. Jesus said it ten times. Remain. Abide. Stay. Live close to Jesus. Live in agreement. Live in relationship. In obedience and blessing. So, remaining. And as a consequence, bearing fruit. That definitely sounds like good news. 
But Jesus didn't start with that, did he? Do you remember at the beginning of the reading? What was the first thing he said? What's the headline? The very first point that he makes. <coughs> Gave him a moment to think there, didn't I? What did he say? I am the true vine. That means the, the real McCoy. I'm the genuine article. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener or the vine dresser. Now we have the role of the father. Every branch that bears no fruit, what does the father do? He cuts it off. You don't want to be fruitless. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now that sounds like bad news. That sounds pretty uncomfortable. But it is good news. What is this pruning? And why is it necessary? Have you ever tried to grow tomatoes? I've grown tomatoes, and particularly I've grown tomatoes in a greenhouse. Do you know what happens if you put the plant in a good position, water it and feed it well, and give it all the right inputs, but otherwise leave it on its own to grow and just hope for lots of tomatoes? Do you know what you get? I'll tell you, you get lots of tomato plant. You get lots of leaves, you get lots of shoots, you get more leaves coming off those shoots, but left to its own devices, the tomato plant produces lots and lots of tomato plant, not very many and very small tomatoes. A huge tangle of tomato plant, but very little in the way of tomatoes. And in the same way, left unchecked, left unpruned, we tend to grow ourselves. We fill our lives with many things. We fill our time, our days, our months, our years with our own stuff, our own growth, the things we want in our lives, our possessions, our interests, our comfort, our entertainment. And we become a big tangle of me, me, me. And where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? The fruit that will abide, that will last into eternity. You know, if my life is about building up me, my comfort, my entertainment, my reputation, my online presence, my prestige, I'm just leaves and shoots. There's no fruit. Nothing that will keep, nothing that will last. The Father's pruning the Father's pruning often means setting aside, putting away, cutting off things in our lives which are just in the way of us having a deeper relationship with Jesus and bearing his fruit. Hebrews 12 compares the life of a disciple to a runner in a race like, like in the Olympics. It says, lay aside every weight and sin so you can run unhampered. Why lay aside the weights? What are the weights? Well, some things in our lives, things that take up our time and attention, perhaps our money, are not sinful in themselves. But as Jesus calls us to run our race in life, looking to him, there are things which weigh us down, that hold us back. You know, I like to go out for a run in the morning, but I, but I don't expect to carry a load of stuff with me if I'm going to enjoy the run. You know, sometimes Jesus will show us there is something we need to put down, to give up, to leave behind, to cut off. I've mentioned before how the Lord told me to, to give up stock trading. 
I was spending a couple of hours a day researching and buying shares, selling shares. Oh, what fun. And the Lord showed me very clearly, don't want you to do that, Brian. No more. I told last year, how, to the amusement of some of you, how the Lord acted to teach me a lesson about living under authority. And he pruned from me the allotment that I'd had for five years. Father cut it off and took it out of my life. He cut off those things to create circumstances in which I might be more fruitful for him. He freed up some time. Jesus is saying, when the Father's pruning knife comes into your life, and the things you've always wanted to get, get taken off, things you've set your heart on get removed, or the dream seems no longer possible. There is a purpose in that, even though there is pain and grief. You know, with an untutored eye, this pain might seem pointless. Why couldn't I get that job? Or onto that course? Or keep that relationship? Why have I lost that person? This makes no sense to me. Jesus is saying, you think like that because you don't understand gardening. He's saying, look, my father is the gardener, the vine dresser, the pruner, and he wants to make you fruitful. He wants to make you great. And someone listening might be thinking, well, I lost my mum to cancer when I was 13, or something like that. Are you telling me that God did that, that he put me through that pain and suffering to make me a better person? What kind of God would do that? Somerset Maugham, the writer, he tells about a school years ago that believed that there was a moral value in suffering. They claimed it was salutary, that it increased empathy, opened the spirit to new avenues of beauty and strength and character. Hmm. But he goes on. I've worked for years in a hospital. I know that suffering doesn't enable. And it doesn't ennoble. It degrades. It makes people selfish, mean, petty and suspicious. It absorbs them in small things. It makes them less human, not more. And he's right. And you might be thinking, if you're following closely, hold on, Bright. <laughs> hold on. What do you mean he's right? Didn't you just say that pruning is beneficial, that suffering and loss is good for us? No, I didn't. And nor did Jesus. The pruning knife comes to the branch, yes. And Jesus is saying, if you're not connected to me, not bearing fruit, the knife, the setbacks, the losses, the pain, will cut you back. They will diminish you. They will make you hard and small. But if you are connected, if you are rooted, remaining, locked, into me. The same troubles, evils and setbacks 
bad things that happen in life to everybody, and let's be clear, they do happen to everybody, because the world is fallen, because of sin. And Satan is the prince of this world, and we are living behind enemy lines. But Jesus is saying, if you're rooted in me, they won't make you hard. They'll make you soft. They won't make you less human. They'll make you more human. They won't make you stupid. They'll make you wise. And they won't make you mean and small. They'll make you great. These things come to everybody, he says. He's saying, but if you're in me and I'm in you, when the knife comes, when you are cut back by those losses, troubles and evils, you'll be cut back into fruitfulness. Those setbacks will be opportunities for my grace, my DNA, to flow into you and through you. Those setbacks will make you great. They will make you even more fruitful. Finally, we've enjoyed watching The Chosen. I hope you have. We certainly have. We've enjoyed watching The Chosen. I guess you've thought, why is it called The Chosen? Simple. Because it's about the ones Jesus chose. And he's still doing that. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Hmm. Did you think you made a decision for Christ? Did you think that one day you chose to become a Christian? Can't you see that someone unseen was working in the background? He chose you. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he chose you. If you're a Jesus follower, you've been personally chosen by Jesus. Imagine that you are an athlete for a moment. And you have been chosen to represent your country in the Olympics. Do you think for one moment that you would bring a similar level of commitment and engagement the same level as someone who was just coming to the Olympics to take a seat and watch? Of course not. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. If you're a Jesus follower, you're amazing. You've been chosen, called and commissioned by the Son of God. Why? To be with him, to remain in him, to share your life with him, and he promises to share his life with you. I remember that old Graham Kendrick song, I'm being myself in Jesus, and he's being himself in me. I'm being myself in Jesus, and that's the way to be. <sighs> to be with him, in him, remaining in him, and for your fruit, to grow, to last, and abide right into eternity. Everything is available for you to bear fruit. Think about it. Goodness in, goodness out. Or, trivia in, trivia out. 
Where is your heart? Where are you abiding? Where are you hanging out? My call to you this morning, the Lord's call to you this morning, remain in him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. He wants to make you great, great.